This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. We are still recording from our respective homes, so missing the studio, missing seeing you, but excited that the show can still go on. (laughs) Thanks, bro. It's really nice to hear that you're uh, missing seeing me. Tough to see me when you've just revealed off air that you are sitting underneath (laughs) a blanket. (laughs) I was wondering how long it would take for you to bring that up in this episode, and it was within the first minute. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone who's unsure what we're talking about, Alec is sitting underneath a blanket. We're unable to get into the studio unfortunately his room is not uh perfectly set up for acoustics so to overcome that take one will be blankets next week will be egg cartons on the walls um (laughs) we'll see what happens yeah and if you appreciate the audio quality if you think the audio quality on my end is much better than bryce's end jump on our discussion group and tell Bryce to get under a blanket for the next episode. <laughs> yeah, fair call. I'll take that. I'll take that feedback on board. But we are here for one of our most enjoyable episodes of the month. And that is our mastermind episode with Julia Lee, who is on the line, also working from home. Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Should, should I go grab my uh, blanket now? Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, starting a, we're starting a trend here, Julia. Jump on board. <laughs> Great to be here. How are you going with the whole work from home? You've, you recently set up shop down in Barangaroo and now have had to relocate. Yes. Well, I've gone full on bunker mode and I've bought, you'd be happy to hear, Bryce, a Breville coffee machine. I'm all set up at home. Ah, that's good. So for any of uh, our listeners who have just joined the show, welcome As I said, this is one of our favorite episodes where we sit down and each pitch a stock idea or or a theme to the group and and get each other's feedback. By no means is this a buy, hold or a sell recommendation. It's, It's purely just a way of us to share some ideas and discuss more about the research process and and to really hear from from Julia as well. She's the expert on this call. So I guess without further ado, we'll jump into it. But before we do, last time we spoke, Julia, we were just kicking off here in Australia anyway, the whole coronavirus crisis. And I think the market had dropped a, a few percent on the day that we were recording. I'm just wondering how you're feeling about the market at the moment, what you think might be happening over the next couple of months. Sure. So I think in the last uh, podcast, we were talking about how when volatility hits, it usually takes two or three months to work through. Mm. So it's been, you know, just over a month since 
that conversation. So, and the market started to bounce back a little bit here. I guess one of the characteristics of bear markets or falling markets is that the rallies or the bear market rallies, as we call them, can be quite violent. They can be really strong. And some people call it the sucker punch rally, which is it suckers new buyers in and then it punches them back down, which is a bit violent, but <laughs> um, so I guess a bit of caution here. And this type of market is about understanding what type of investor or trader you are, whether you are comfortable with taking shorter term positions or whether you're taking a longer term outlook. And if you're taking a longer term outlook, well, this probably has longer to, to play out. And it depends on how long the shutdowns stick around for. And it's pretty amazing. Um, There's something called the Google Mobility Data. You can Google it and you can break it down country by country and have a look at how much people have stopped moving in what areas. And I I think from memory, in Australia, for things like retail, it's down about 50% in terms of mobility, in terms of mobility to workplaces or travel to workplaces. We're down, I think, just over 30%. Transit, which is transportation, public transportation, down more than 50%, uh, even visits to parks. And it's quite interesting seeing that because you know that's going to have a flow on impact on the economy and different sectors of the economy. And it's quite interesting contrasting it against other different countries. For example, in Italy, mobility to retail is down over 90%, which is pretty horrific. And then you have places like South Korea where things like pharmaceuticals is actually up and visits to parks are up, whereas here Mm. in Australia they're down about 20%. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Julia, I can tell you that I live near a park and we've had a lot of people there and we've actually had the police come and visit us twice because there are wow. too many people there. So some some parks are still uh, being frequented quite mm. heavily. So I remember when we were um, recording the last Mastermind, Julia, you mentioned that you'd probably be holding off buying anything for at least that sort of three-month period as you know the market worked through that volatility. I'd be interested to know, have you bought anything in the last sort of three months? Because I got too excited with the first drop and <laughs> jumped in and then subsequently I <laughs> uh, have seen that get blown apart. But um, I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. And I understand how painful it is because you can buy in and it looks like a bargain and then, you know, you're down another 20% within a matter of weeks if not a week in this type of market days <laughs> days <laughs> which is why the volatility can be quite scary i'm i'm mostly in cash at the moment about 90% i have wow. picked up a few positions uh, so i've got costa group as well as met cash so a big food theme at the moment but mm. i'm playing these ones more for shorter term um and when the tide turns you know i'm out with the tide mm. interesting that was music to my ears, Julia, that you had uh, finally seen the light uh, and chosen my stock of the year from last year of Costa Group. At a different price. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Classic. Well, interesting. So in terms of the volatility, how much further, I mean, hard to tell, but do you, do you still sort of stick by that three-month rule at the moment? I think it's going to be a bit longer. Um, And the three-month rule is good because it gives you a a bit more information to go off. And Mm. basically when we were speaking in February, you know, there were a lot of comparisons of the COVID-19 crisis to SARS back in 2003 or Mm. even H1N1, the swine flu, 
in 2009, but it's pretty apparent that this is going to have a much bigger effect on the global economy, has had a bigger effect and a much bigger effect in terms of the number of people it impacts as well. So look, that V-shaped recovery is out the window. The most optimistic view is a U-shaped recovery, if not more of an L-shaped recovery, which is also a possibility. Nice. Well, we may as well uh, jump into our specific stocks now in keeping with what has now become a bit of a tradition. I'll kick off then Julia and then Ren to bring it home with whatever he has on the table for us. So my stock pick is one of the few companies with a market cap greater than $5 billion on the ASX that has actually performed in the positive over the last three months. There's only been six companies over $5 billion market cap to post a sort of a positive return, A2 Milk, CSL, Coles, Ren, you'd be happy to know, Fortescue, yep. Fisher and Parkle Healthcare, and the stock pick that I am doing today is ResMed. It is currently trading at $25.95 with a market cap of $38.5 billion and up 8% today alone. So it's been performing well for reasons that we will get into a bit later. Just briefly, it's dual listed on the ASX and also in America on the New York Stock Exchange headquarters in San Diego. In 2019, fiscal year, it posted a $2.6 billion revenue and profit of $1.5 billion USD on that. So a bit about the company. It's a manufacturer and developer of medical devices and cloud-based software solutions that diagnose and treat respiratory disorders, so sleeping disorders and sleep apnea, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and a number of other diseases and disorders within the respiratory genre. So Bryce, are you yes. a snorer? Is that why you <laughs> picked this one? <laughs> Harriet does say that I often snore, but it's usually after a few beers, to be honest. So not in need of so most <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> They're also a leading provider of uh, cloud-based software, health applications, and devices to make out-of-hospital care a lot easier and more effective. And their aim for that is really to allow fewer sort of hospital or carers to manage more patients at, patients at one time, which is something that I'll touch on a bit later. To give you an example of the size, they employ 7,200 people and have products sold in about 120 countries around the world. Just to give you a, an idea of the market size of sleep apnea, so just under a billion people have been diagnosed with mild to severe sleep apnea and there are a number of others you know, many, many more that probably go undiagnosed. So it's, it's quite a large market and a growing market as diagnosis also improves and becomes a lot easier. Before I jump into financials, well, firstly, any comments so far? So I should confess here that I am highly likely to need a ResMed or competitive device at some point. My dad's got sleep apnea and I'm pretty sure it's genetic. And I have seen the evolution of ResMed's products they used to be so big and bulky and just kind of shit, really. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, now they're pretty sleek. They're much smaller. They seem to be a lot smarter. He definitely sees the improvement. So I think from a user point of view, it seems that uh, they're continuing to make their user experience a lot better. Yeah, nice. Good to hear. At the moment, COVID-19 is dominating um, sort of medicine and the health sector. Are you still positive on ResMed despite what's happening around the globe or is this like a long-term pitch? 
Well, interesting and great question, Julia. So over in the States, the White House have put into act uh, the Defence Production Act of 1950, where essentially they are asking a number of manufacturers to produce ventilators and they will also facilitate the supply of the materials for those ventilators to a number of companies. And ResMed is one of those companies that has been somewhat ordered to make ventilators. However, ventilators aren't actually traditionally a large part of their revenue stream. The sleep apnea devices are. So what they've had to do is really modify their manufacturing plants, one of which is in Sydney, to move away from sleep apnea devices and into the production and manufacture of ventilators and also masks as well. So the short-term impact is, I would assume, actually probably going to hit their revenue because the, the ventilator is actually quite a small part of their business. And in line with that, the diagnosis of sleep apnea patients is probably going to slow down at the moment as hospitals turn their attention to treating COVID patients and not really diagnosing other illnesses and diseases. So the short-term implications, I think, is actually going to hurt them. But the, the long-term play, I think, is positive because of what they're doing in the cloud-based area at the moment. <laughs> Does that help answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, just to jump into your answer there, Bryce, I think I'm not sure how much of their revenue is subscription revenue and how much of it is one-off purchases, but I'm pretty sure a fair chunk of their business is subscription. Yes. So at least that gives them some, and we're talking about people's sleep here, so it's not a subscription you're going to get rid of. So I feel like that gives them some resilience in the short term at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. It's about 10% of revenue though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really not... quite insignificant relative to other streams of revenue, which is why, yeah, short term, there's probably going to be hit. The long term though, and I think this is where I became interested. So if you think about what's happening at the moment, everyone's, you know, working from home or having to adjust their lives more virtually, interact with other people more virtually. And one of those interactions that is now becoming virtual is with your doctor or healthcare professional. And ResMed are involved in out-of-hospital care market, as I said at the start, and they've made a lot of acquisitions in the last year in a number of companies that have mobile platforms that offer, you know, sensors and mobile apps and analytics that really help support respiratory management and diagnosis virtually out of care and out of hospital. And I think this is going to really play into the current environment is really going to play into their strengths longer term as they probably or can hopefully actually um, sort of stamp their dominance in this area and really build on this part of the business as people come to, I, I guess, rely more on these rather than having to go to hospital or at least get used to more comfortable with the idea of virtual healthcare rather than, rather than through hospital. So that's kind of why I'm interested. Any questions? I'm interested to hear you talk about valuation because I've looked at ResMed a few times before. You look at that that revenue growth rate and you get very you get excited for what the future yeah. can hold, but it seems to be expensive. So I'm interested at, well it always seems it's one of those stocks that seems to always be expensive. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. So to your point around revenue growth, it has had great double-digit revenue growth over the last sort of five or six years. It maintains a decent margin. If you look at it from a valuation standpoint, just using price to earnings, it does seem expensive at 82 PE. 
However, if you compare that to, say, one of its competitors, Fisher & Paykel Healthcare, which is also a a leading manufacturer of ventilators, they're trading at 117 times PE. Now, I imagine that's because they've both gone on a pretty strong run over the last sort of three months or so. But from a competitor standpoint, they're not as expensive. I hope that helps your question, Ren. Do you have any thoughts on it? I guess because also Fisher and Paykel in the ventilator space, they were already in ICU departments. So they were already in intensive care departments. So Fletcher and Paykel, the demand for their ventilators is stronger because doctors already are familiar with those ventilators in that intensive care environment. Whereas ResMed, it's such a small portion of their business and it probably won't offset the mask sales and the devices sales that they're going to miss out on during the period because there's not going to be the staff to be able to diagnose sleep apnea because they'll all be working on pretty much COVID-19. Having said that, though, once COVID-19 hit, I was really worried about my husband because he's got asthma and he's been known to have asthma attacks in doctor's surgeries. So I went online to have a look at one of the CPAP machines that ResMed has, which is Mm -hmm. a continuous pressure airways device and I suggested that maybe I buy one for him and he was like don't be ridiculous but there's also one by pressure air so apparently like when you're sleeping you only need the continuous air pressure because you're only taking in the oxygen but when you're under respiratory trouble you need the two different types of pressure to help oxygen not only go in but also oxygen go out so it was quite interesting reading about Mm. the different products and how they're used. Mm. Do you have any sort of comment on the valuation side of things, Julia? Yeah, I I like ResMed. Um, I like it because the global demographics, um, I think the healthcare space is a growth space because of aging demographics. The older we get, the more likely we are to have sleep problems and snore and sleep apnea. And the other thing is around obesity, the fatter we are and we're getting fatter. (laughs) Well, I'm getting fatter. Um, But, you know, in the US where it's a pretty big market, I'm guessing there's a lot of underdiagnosis in terms of sleep apnea. So look, I like it. The valuation. Yes, it looks expensive on a historical valuation, but if you have a look at what's expected in FY21, that valuation very quickly drops to 38. So as long as those growth rates are coming through, the valuation will drop in out outer years as well. And that's the thing to remember with growth stocks. Things can look expensive now and you're paying a premium now, but the future growth should bring down those multiples because of course, one of the inputs into the PE ratio, price to earnings, is earnings. And if earnings is growing, then the number should be coming down. Mm. Now, Bryce, I've got one more question for you before we move on. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking at the American stock ticker. It fell about 30% with this coronavirus market sell-off. And then between the weekend of the 21st and 22nd of March, something changed because since then it's done a sharp V up and it's up about 30% from there. So my question to you is, what happened that weekend? Uh, I don't have the link in front of me, but my guess would be, (laughs) my guess would be that's when the White House put in their memorandum through the Secretary of Homeland Security or whatever it was, the Defense Production Act, that there are a number of companies that were, I guess, supported from a supply of materials point of view, but also essentially ordered to, to make these ventilators and ResMed was one of them. That would be my guess. Fair enough. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get. I'm sure someone will comment if. Yeah, if probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, we will throw to Julia now. 
So I'm looking at elders. I love my steak, so <laughs> I'm going to go with a agricultural stock. And the great thing about steaks or cattle prices, I should be, um, is that prices are going up. And prices are going up because we've had a drought and because of the drought there's less cattle out there. And now that it's started to rain, everybody wants to restock. So the restocking is happening at the same time that people are competing for production as well, so for food, for steaks. So there's this competition going on at the moment for cattle restocking versus cattle for food, and that's been great news for prices. In fact, if we have a look at March, we did see volumes for cattle actually down by 24%, and you'd think that was a negative, but prices for cattle was up by a massive 86% year on year. So that very strong pricing is really starting to benefit elders, which is great to see. So Livestock Agency and the live export part of the business makes up about 35% of gross profit for elders. The other really important area for elders is the agricultural business. So they supply fertilizer, agrichemicals, as well as animal health products. And during the drought, people don't want to spend money on things like agrichemicals because you need rain um, more than anything. But what we're seeing now is that the winter sowing season, so anyone who's doing a bit of gardening, that's April to July, you sow the seeds for the winter crop and you want things to be wet so those seeds come up and you get a big crop. And the great news is that it's wet. So wet is good and the outlook for the winter cropping season is the best that we've seen in about four years. And I guess that's a thing to remember with elders that it is an agri-stock. So this is a type of company you tend to buy when there's drought. And when you're coming out of drought, you see the stock price rallying up and um, it's had a really good performance in 2020. I sold too early, but I still really like this stock. Also, we've heard from one of its competitors, New Farm, which also has supplies agrichemicals, that from some of their comments, it does look like it's going to be a more normal wheat crop this year here in Australia. So that's great news for elders. So I like this stock. I think food's really popular at the moment because we're all, well, most of us are working from home and probably eating a lot more if you're anything like me. So um, I think elders is going to be a, a beneficiary of the rain and also what we're seeing around the globe. I have a question around the export side of things. Uh, You mentioned that 35% of profit comes from export. I'm assuming most of that is to China. Is that right? Yes, China would be a big market. How do you see that playing out though, given what is going on at the moment? Are they likely to still want to import as much beef as, as they have in previous years? I think what we're seeing in China is that pork as a protein, well, that's been quite unpopular because of the the problems that we've seen over there, which means you look for substitute products. So cattle can be quite good. And look, Australian steak is world famous and Asia being our our neighbour, I think is good. And I guess one of the things to come out of uh, COVID-19 is that one of the economies to be on that path of recovery and normalisation a lot quicker than Western economies is China. South Korea is not looking too bad either. So look, I think the export market's still looking relatively good. Don't forget there's still a weak Aussie dollar that will help that market as well. So um, yeah, I think it's exciting being close to Asia and being close to China. And with the weak Aussie dollar, I think that's actually a positive.
just been having a look at some of its financials and the valuation it has and stuff like that looks interesting. Low PE only need a pretty low growth rate to hit its valuation in terms of a discount cash flow. But I guess the trouble with some of these businesses that are so environment dependent is as much as it's good times now that it is raining, you know, all those all those numbers can turn if if it stops raining again. So how do you think about investing in a business that is so dependent on something that we have absolutely no control over? Sure. For me, this comes down to psychology. And although we don't have control over the rain, we do understand how investors tend to behave when it comes to behavioral finance. And one of the things that investors do tend to do is get too optimistic and too pessimistic. So when there's drought, they assume that these conditions are going to go on for a lot longer than they do. And the thing with drought, like many other things, is that it's cyclical. You do get these periods of bad droughts. And look, the last drought was a horrible drought. But at some point, you do get reversion to the mean and you do get more normalised conditions. And in the midst of that drought, it's very difficult to see that and understand that. And if I can think of something that's similar but different, it's in the insurance area where you see, you know, a big hurricane hitting a region and you might even see two hurricanes hitting that same region in a short period of time. So people think that they're going to be hit by hurricanes every single year or more frequently because it's occurred frequently in a short period of time. So they go out and they buy insurance, even though you have to pay more for that insurance. And then, of course, you know, maybe you won't get hurricanes for another 10 years. But Um, we're not saying if you get hit by a natural disaster, don't buy insurance. That's not not the official standard (laughs) of equity. No, no. no. I'm just drawing similarities of where investors see a pattern and they think that pattern will last forever when actually weather patterns do tend to be cyclical. Yes, we have climate change happening, but generally these things do come and go. They don't last forever. So I guess now we've got rain, everyone's worried about the drought because we had such a long and such a really bad drought. But in actual fact, we should probably be more optimistic. And, you know, we as humans have this memory and this grounding to events. And the last biggest event weather-wise was the drought that we've seen that impacted on elders. So, look, I think um, the market probably has a tendency here to be uh, too pessimistic around the elders given our recent experience and not optimistic enough. Julia, you mentioned climate change there, and that is an interesting one that is going to become more and more of a factor in a lot of businesses that we are researching and looking to invest in. Does the company talk much about climate change and the risks, and I guess also the potential benefits that they'll see if some of these projections play out? Uh, I guess there's two risks in terms of elders, in terms of changes. One is climate change and the other is, I think, artificial intelligence. And I guess when it comes to farming, farming is undergoing this structural change as well where, you know, we're using the technology that's available to be able to get bigger crops and to be more efficient with uh, resources as well. So I think while they do have to grapple with climate change and the, the changing weather patterns that that's bringing quite rapidly. On the flip side, you know, that's not something that happens in a year or two. It's, ha- it's something that will happen over a decade. What's on the positive side of things are the developments that we are seeing technology-wise that's really helping farmers to use their resources wisely and to get the most out of their cattle and crops. Nice. Well, 
Unless you have any other questions, Ren, I was going to ask a similar one around sustainability, but Julia has just answered it. So unless there's anything else you'd like to cover, Julia, we can throw to Ren to close out Mastermind. I really feel like a state now. Sorry for the <laughs> Make sure you get one from Coles, not Woolies. They're much better. <laughs> well, actually, I guess you invested in Metcash, so you're probably going to have to go to IGA. IGA. Yeah, well, I, I noticed at my local IGA, there's a whole new butcher section. There you go. We didn't have meat three months ago at my local IGA, but now there's a whole wall of it. It's amazing. I wouldn't know what my local IGA is doing. <laughs> I only walk in the red supermarket. <laughs> we, we don't have a Coles or Woolies in my suburb, but there's two IGAs. There you go. Which is really wow. weird. Yeah. Oh, and we we have an Audi as well. Uh, anyway, we should stop talking about supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, there's 16 bottle shops. Well, that's good. That's it's good. All they... For one suburb, yeah. <laughs> I looked it up on the yellow pages because I was curious one day, and well, it was 16. <laughs> as we've learned, they are an essential service, so it's good that you've got plenty of choice. Yes. Oh, it's your turn now, Ren. It is, it is. Now, the preamble for this is obviously ETFs and index investing has done extremely well since the JFC. It's really been the biggest trend in investing, you'd have to say. And for a little while, I've thought that I've been curious about active management because it's not really something that has factored into my thinking in terms of investing, giving money to professional investors to invest. And I think at the start of the year, I'm one of my bold predictions was around active management. And now given the recent sell-off in the market, I decided to take a look at listed investment companies. And for people who aren't familiar with that term, it's essentially a company that's listed on the stock exchange like uh, any other company. But rather than creating a product or offering a service to, to make money, they take the money the company has and invest it and make money by their investments doing well. So there are a number of listed investment companies that are trading below their net tangible asset value. And that's the value of the investments that the company holds less any debt the company holds. And so that for me is an interesting investment opportunity to buy a listed investment company for less than the value of the investments that it holds. And so I've got a few examples to start with some of the companies who we've interviewed on the show before, or some of the managers that we've interviewed before, Bailador Technology is trading at a 48% discount to its net tangible assets. Oh. Glennon Small Companies, Michael Glennon, Bryce, I think was one of your very first interviews on the show, is trading at a 25% discount to net tangible asset value. And then two of the Magellan funds, their Global Trust and their High Conviction Trust are trading at 10% and 9% discount to net tangible assets, respectively. Some other big names that are trading at a big discount, the Future Generation Funds, so there's one for that invests in Australia and one that invests globally, are trading at a 28% and 32% discount, respectively. Wilson Asset Management Leaders Fund is trading at a 20% discount. And then the Global Masters Fund, which basically, I think uh, two-thirds of its fund just holds Berkshire Hathaway, is trading at a 38% discount to net tangible assets. So there are some big discounts out there, and I know I have to plant my flag in, in this episode, and I was tossing up between two, and I'll just brief spiel for both of them. So when I was looking at some of these LICs that were trading below their net tangible asset value, 
One of the things I was really interested in was how much cash they had, because in that net tangible asset number, a lot of these companies hold cash. And at a time like this, cash is, it gives them optionality. It gives, it allows them to invest um, at, you know, an opportune time. But it also means they're not holding dud investments. You know that the net tangible asset number is solid, the more cash it has in that number. So... To start with, one of the ones that I mentioned before, uh, Michael Glennon's Glennon Small Companies Fund, it, it was already trading at a 25% discount to its net tangible asset value. But then looking at the company at its latest announcement, it's holding 40% cash, which means that 27 cents out of the 67 cents of net tangible assets per share is cash. If you net that cash out, so you say, yeah, you net the cash out of the share price and the net tangible asset number, the actual assets that it's holding uh, is trading at a 43% discount, which is pretty nice. Another one that seemed to have a lot of cash, VGI Partners Global Investments, already trading at a 16% discount to its net tangible asset value. If you net out the cash, it's holding 55% of its fund in cash. It's trading at a 35% discount. So there are some really interesting funds out there, I guess, you, you could say uh, that are trading below the value of their assets. I guess one call out, and then I'll open it up for questions, is we shouldn't expect them to get to their net tangible asset values. A lot of these LICs trade below net tangible asset value all the time for a few different reasons. But for some of these funds, you would expect that discount to close a little bit from where it is now. So yeah, with that, I know it was a bit of a long spiel, but any questions? I like your analysis, Ren, and I like the thinking behind having a look at their cash balance. I guess just to balance it out, listed investment companies don't always trade at a discount to net tangible assets. Having a look at some of the biggest ones out there and the oldest ones out there, Milton trades at a 10% premium to its net tangible asset value. Argo trades at about a 10% premium and Australian Foundation Investments trades at a 6.5% premium. So, you know, my question is, that discount to net tangible asset value, is that an indication of the market's lack of confidence in that management style? It's a great question. When you look at some of these ones that are trading at a discount, you quickly realise why they're trading at a discount. (laughs) Single-digit performance and management fees that are in line or above what you would expect it would definitely require me to pay a discount if I was going to invest in them. You have to be confident in the performance of some of these funds. And if I'm honest, I haven't done enough research to say I'm extremely confident in some of the ones that I spoke about, with the exception of all the ones that we've interviewed, because we're extremely confident in all of them. But yeah, I think looking at someone like Michael Glennon and his fund, since it listed on the stock exchange, its performance numbers don't look great. However, if you open up your perspective and look at it when it was a private fund and not an LIC as well, its performance numbers look a lot better and it has heavily outperformed the index that it's designed to outperform. So for me, I'm looking at holding some of these funds for decades and so I can live with short periods of underperformance if we get long periods of outperformance along the way. So yeah, it, it's a good call out. Some of them definitely underperformed the last few years. So you have to be confident with the strategy and with the manager who's implementing the strategy, I guess. What would close that gap? The assets that the company holds is worth a dollar and it's trading at 60 cents. You know, how do you take advantage of that gap? Is it something that's permanently there or do you see a reversal in that 
Yeah, Bryce and I were talking about this recently in relation to one LIC. And my thinking is if the discount exists for long enough, there will be investors in the market that take action to close that gap. And at the extreme end of that, it's if you're trading at a massive discount, I would hope that an activist steps in and says, this is dumb. I'm going to buy a bunch of shares, get a seat on your board and force you to liquidate the fund because I want you to just pay me the value of the assets. But I, but I think in reality, the gap closes, well, one, as the, the fund continues to perform and the investors get more confident in the manager. And I'm sure there are other reasons that I can't think of. So maybe I'll throw the question back to you, Julia. What are some of the other reasons that the discount would close? I mean, there's a a big debate going on in the market at the moment whether this is a structural trend because obviously you've identified a number of companies and it's not unusual. In in fact, probably the majority of listed investment companies on the market trade at a discount to net tangible assets and logically that makes no sense. So a number of these listed investment companies have started buybacks where they're buying back their own stock to try and close that valuation gap But given the market conditions at the moment, unfortunately, that hasn't been altogether too successful. But definitely, I would probably focus on those companies, not only with a high cash balance, but also, you know, trying to close that valuation gap, whether it's through buybacks to try and buy back shares and close that valuation gap, or whether it's through some of the actual investment managers and staff buying up shares. And I I noticed that Michael Uh, Glennon has been buying up shares in GC1. So that's always a tick of confidence as well. Let me ask you a question on that, Julia, because at a time like this when obviously they're trading at a discount, but also a lot of companies that they could be investing in are also trading at a discount, would you want to see a manager saying, I'm buying back my own shares? Or would you want to see a manager saying, there's so much opportunity here that's going to set us up to outperform for the next decade? And we're going to use any and all cash that we have to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, I think there's room for both. I definitely think that valuation gap is a problem. It's a big problem because to me that not only signifies that there's something going on underneath, uh, maybe a structural trend or a move away from listed investment companies and more into the exchange traded fund area. But also, I want to see managers backing their own company. I mean, if that gap in valuation is there and it doesn't make any sense and they might be targeted either by their competitors as a takeover because of that valuation gap. You know, if they were pretty confident in their survival, then they'd want to be doing something to bridge that gap. So, you know, I'd look for those buybacks as well as staff buying into it to close that gap, as well as making investments. And I, I really think it's a combination deal. Fair enough. Any any thoughts, Bryce? Yeah, it's really interesting. I've owned a number of listed investment companies for a while. I think the first investment I ever made was a, a listed into a listed investment company. Dad actually was a shareholder of I won't mention which one, but one of the listed investment companies we've been talking about. Least and I? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> one of the ones we've been discussing and underlying performance was fantastic. And dad was watching the underlying performance do incredibly well. And the stock price didn't move. In actual fact, it traded flat and over, I think, about a five-year period generally went down. And he was getting frustrated, couldn't really understand why. And he emailed the the fund manager and sort of said, 
yo, I'm a you know self retired. Um, he, he actually you know, did start his email with yo as well. Would you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> so, self managed super fund, and just want to understand from your point of view why you're doing so well, but the stock price isn't performing in the same direction. And he essentially said that it came down to the liquidity of of the company, and there were a number of large shareholders who you know were backing the company in, but not not really buying or selling. So whilst the underlying assets did really well, he's kind of had his hands tied to some extent just watching his stock price trade flat so it's a tricky one when you you could be backing the right manager and the right manager over a long period of time but when do you call it and and dad kept saying oh you know you know i'm backing him in and the nta you know discount is incredible even better than it was when i first bought so i'll go in again and you, you know over a period of time that the gains weren't there so Bit yeah. of a long story, but it's a it's a tricky one with LICs because you just really are still up to the demand and supply forces of the market, despite really the the performance of the manager. And I think that's a really good point that you know if you're a large investor that can you know take over the share register and demand things, then that's fine. But if you're a smaller investor and you're just hoping for a bailout, then that's a whole nother ball game. Mm. Um, the other thing is, I mean, we were laughing about Blue Sky because they basically disappeared. But one of the things with any asset is unlisted assets that they hold um, and the valuation of those assets. And that's come very much to the fore because of super funds that hold unlisted assets. And some of the their um, members may be trying to take money out because they're in financial distress because of the COVID-19 impacts. And because unlisted assets, unlike shares, that get valued on a day-to-day basis, they only get valued sort of every quarter or whenever those revaluations occur. And those valuations on the book might not accurately reflect current market conditions. And that can be a challenge as well. For example, you know, we've seen Sydney airports, transurban falling so, so much. Well, what about a listed investment company that also owns an airport or toll roads but it's an unlisted asset and they haven't actually caught up to the market's valuations. And they might argue that it's a long-term asset, that it's a 25-year investment, but, you know, Sydney airports and Transurban are also long-term assets as well. It's just that the market's valuing them at a huge discount because of market conditions. So there's that question around unlisted assets and how to value them as well. Mm. Yeah, and it's probably worth calling out at this point that if you find an LIC you're interested in, you can f- see what it invests in in terms of you know listed equities, large cap, small caps, Australian, global, unlisted infrastructure, currency, all that stuff is public. So if you jump on their websites and do a bit of research, you can make sure you know what you're investing in. Nice, Ren. Side note, I think the small guys in town, the LICs could do a much better job of marketing. I think there's an element of some of their websites, mate. We could start oh, a business doing investor websites. Like, it is shocking. I know. It's just one of those things the big guys just keep doing well because they have the resources to pump themselves up and make them look good and more money comes in and it's a it's a never-ending cycle. I'm not going to call them out, but some of their website URLs as well, like just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I really like the topic that you chose, Ren, but I have another question. Did you just come out of your blanket? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, it hasn't been the most comfortable recording session and I'm sure it's been moving a bit on the microphone. But don't worry, I'm still in here. <laughs> 
Well, to to save you any more discomfort, Ren, we'll leave it there and tune in again in a month's time. Hopefully things have calmed down a bit on the markets and looking forward to getting your opinion again, Julia, on, on how things are going. But as always, great to chat stocks and just want to close out by reminding everyone listening that they're not buy, hold or sell recommendations, but hopefully you've got something out of that, if anything, just an understanding of how we go about looking at companies and, and whatnot. So appreciate your time, Julia, and hopefully great. it's uh, all going well at home. Yes, yes, I'm still here. <laughs> Actually, good to have a chat to another human being besides my family. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, uh, we'll leave it there and we'll, we'll chat in a month's time. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Julia. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. 